This episode of IPv6 Buzz is brought to you by IT Pro TV. Start or grow your IT career with online IT training from IT Pro TV. And we have a special offer for IPv6 Buzz listeners. Sign up and save 30% off all plans. ITPro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout and save 30% off all plans. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. A quick reminder, there are sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and other Packet Pusher podcast shows. If you're interested, go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship for details. And if you've got something cool working with IPv6, well, we always want to hear about it here at IPv6 Buzz. Uh, we'd love to have you on the show or uh, have you submit a comment and let us know what you got working and why it's cool, and we'll, we'll talk about it on the show. So I'm Tom Coffeen with my co-host, Scott Hogue. Uh, today, we, we, we're missing Ed. He's out taking care of business. And uh, with, in his absence, we're, he's going to miss out on the fun of talking about DHCPv6 and something called Option 108. So uh, Option 108, Scott, can you tell the, the listeners, the IPv6 Buzz listeners, exactly what that is and what it's designed to do? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's awkward. We're not without Ed today. <laughs> we'll we'll get on without him, but we're definitely missing him, right? It's weird, right? And I, yeah, I almost said, uh, I'm Ed Horley with, I, yes, <laughs> with my co-host, Tom, Tom Coffey. Coffey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So definitely, I mean, uh, there is an RFC, uh, RFC 8925, called IPv6 Only Preferred Option for DHCPv4. And what this is, is it's a, it's a IP. IPv4 option for a DHCP server that tells the host it should be IPv6 only and should turn off its IPv4 stack. So let me repeat that. It's a uses DHCP for IPv4 to transmit an option to a host to telling it to turn off IPv4, which <laughs> seems a little weird. So you're using IPv4 to turn off IPv4 and then the result is the host only ends up with its global, you know, unique IPv6 address that it obtained through whatever means was uh, told to the host by the router advertisement. <laughs> it's like, we only speak Spanish here in English. <laughs> yes. you, you get the message. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of odd. So you have a network that's configured with you know, IPv4 DHCP, and it has a IP helper address, you know, to communicate this IPv4 DHCP option, you know, to the host or the host to ask for this option 108 over IPv4 transport. But then the host is also hearing a router advertisement for IPv6 activation, you know, from the first hop router. And it's gone through its process of either doing DHCPv6 or Slack and RDNSS and DNSSL, you know, so it's got a V6 stack in parallel to the V4. It hears this option 108 and inside the option 108, it's a, it's a number, it's a 32-bit unsigned integer number that tells the host the number of seconds to turn off its V4 protocol mm. and its interface. And so it's a number of seconds. So you could set that, you know, to 300. You know, and it, it would turn off IPv4 for five minutes. You could set it to, you know, 3,600 
you know, and it set it up, you know, turn off IPv4 for an hour. So it doesn't have to be permanent, right? but you could set it for a pretty long time period, you know. Well, and I would think that's what, you know. 400 or something yeah. along like that. And, and wouldn't you, isn't that kind of the purpose? It just seems strange that there would be like short time intervals in which you would want to turn. I'm trying to think of the use case where it's like, let's turn off IPv4 temporarily. Uh, I mean, unless you were just, you know, wanted to wreak havoc on your, your poor help desk and like cause troubleshooting issues that are basically impossible to solve. Because it's like yeah. IPv4 disappears for, you know, a brief interval of time and then comes back and then potentially disappears again. That's very strange. But, I, you know, I guess in the, in the name of maximum configurability, there there you have mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Or you you just want to have fun with your friends in the IT department. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, just set it for that one subnet. And so, yeah, so it's a way, I guess, because normally if you're trying to configure a node for IPv6 only, if the router only has v6 configured on it most modern operating systems have our dual protocol so they try to do dhcp and then you know act upon the icmp v6 ra but if they if they try to do dhcp on a network that isn't running ipv4 it ends up with that a pipa address the yeah. automatic private IP addressing, the 169254, you see that and you know, ah, you know, my DHCP failed or there's some type of a captive portal or something, you know, something's going on here where my V4 didn't activate. Yeah, You end up with that funky address. And so I guess the idea here, you know, for RFC 8925 is let's try to turn that off. Let's turn off the APIPA address. It won't get a lease for DHCP, a V4 address. Let's turn off its a PEEP address. Let's turn off IPv4 as a protocol stack on that interface. That's what this option 108 does. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's good that there is uh, operational flexibility being offered here by, by supporting mm -hmm. this. And, and it's, it's recognizing that in an environment, a dual stack environment where you have to run both protocols, you, you want, it's always better to have the ability to to, to manipulate manipulate those protocols at the the you know application level, uh, the network application level. In this case, DHCP. It's better to have the mm -hmm. you know the option to be able to do that than not have the option to be able to do that. What what I'm kind of marveling at though is the irony of the you know the the RFC authors who who ostensibly are trying to give us more flexibility operationally are the same RFC. <laughs> same RFC authors who refuse to give us the DHCP v6 client for for the Android devices. So not to, yeah. beat, not to beat that terribly, terribly <laughs> dead horse, but I guess I'm doing it. I guess I went there and it's just kind of like, you know, I, if only we could get this kind of dedication to operational flexibility with the protocol in, yeah. in, all, in all domains. Yeah. Cause yeah. one of the, one of the caveats of, you know, this option 108 is that it's not supported on all operating host operating systems, but it's supported on Android. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's supported on, I guess, from my research, it's supported on Apple iOS devices running, you know, 15 or later. Because mm -hmm. you got it up and working in your lab. Yeah. I used a, a, a popular, you know, off the shelf, <laughs> commercially available, <laughs> uh, DHCP server and configured it on a network and, you know, configured option 108 as a custom option uh, in its settings for mm -hmm. a particular, only for a particular subnet. And 
Um, I had a variety of different operating systems on that network, and I had a I had a Mac running uh, twelve dot whatever the latest is, and it did it. It I set it for only six hundred seconds, and sure enough, the Apple Mac MacBook turned off its IPv4 stack. It didn't have an IP address. It was v6 only for mm-hmm. 10 minutes and then after 10 minutes boom back came the apipa address um so it, it worked it didn't work on other linux systems i had and it didn't work on windows 10 or windows 11. really Which that's surprising I had on that network yeah so your mileage may vary it may not work on all the all the operating systems so if you're hoping this will help me run v6 only on certain networks and turn off the APIPA addresses on those hosts to, you know, to be absolutely sure that V6 is the only protocol running on that network. It it may not work on all end nodes. I know it's been submitted as a request on Linux for system D, mm-hmm. but that's, and that's a very recent request. So I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting because if if you look at some of the the wording around uh, the the RFC where they're talking about sort of the operational use case, uh, it, it's it talking about you know requesting IPv4 and releasing it later after IPv6 reachability is confirmed, and this is like quoted verbatim mm-hmm. from the RFC. Mm-hmm. It might cause errors that are visible to users, as it would be disruptive for applications that have started using the assigned IPv4 address. But I don't know. If that looks to me like some like a scenario that should be, you know, should we be solving that kind of scenario with uh, a nerd knob and DHCP, or or is that really poor network planning, <laughs> like poor yeah. land land yeah. administration, and in, in like this, you know, in in being much more deterministic about what address family you have running, and uh, and how you know how you're going to support that. And I, I get it. I mean, and I think you know, and they say they say as much here in the intro that. You know, I think they're they're really talking about environments where there may not be that that kind of you may be in a transitional mode or there may not be that kind of uniform control. But but it, but to me, it's like if I have to use this option, that that seems, you know, it seems like a, maybe some something went went wrong in the planning. I don't know. Maybe maybe you agree disagree. What? Well, in in my testing, what I saw was the end node had an APIPA address for just a moment. Until it got the 108, then it turned the APIPA off. So it had an APIPA for a small, I don't know how long, I didn't count it. It was tiny. Mm-hmm. Also, how does the host, once it turns off its V4 stack, how can it renew? Right. How long do you set that for? How many seconds? And if maybe the seconds expire, then the APIPA comes back. Then it does it then do another request for 108 again? Right. My experience was it didn't. Once the timer expired, oh, now the APIP is back and it kept it. It didn't ask for another 108. So <laughs> all of a sudden your APIPs come back at some point because you can't, it's not like something you you renew your lease at half the lease time, you know, to keep the lease fresh. It's not like you, because you, now you've turned off IPv4, so you can't renew because you've turned because the option 108 is delivered over v4 so i i don't know yeah yeah seems strange i don't know how that works i interrupt the podcast today for a quick word from our sponsor it pro tv do you remember the ransomware attack on the gas pipeline from last year 
That is an example of how cybersecurity professionals are in demand. There are more than 500,000 open cybersecurity roles, and you can become a cybersecurity professional with some online training. It's never too late to start a new career in IT or move up the ladder, and IT Pro TV, today's sponsor, has you covered. From CompTIA and Cisco to EC Council and Microsoft. IT Pro TV is offering more than 5,800 hours of on-demand training, and they, they teach it with engaging hosts. They present information in a talk show format, so it's not boring. They're live every day if you like live content, and the shows that they record each day, those go studio to web in 24 hours. The courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job role. And you can stream IT Pro TV's courses live or on demand worldwide via really any platform you want Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. Learn IT, pass your certs, and get a great job with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash buzz for 30% off all plans and use promo code buzz at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout. One more time, itpro.tv slash buzz and use promo code buzz at checkout to save 30% off all plans. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, it's odd. And then, you know, and then of course, as you pointed out, you're, you're going to get some variant, and this is the case, obviously with any of these sort of nerd knobs that get turned on DHCP options or whatever they might be under the hood that mm -hmm. things that we don't, we can't really tweak on the operating system side. Mm -hmm. We just have to trust that, uh, that, you know, windows and, and, or Microsoft and Apple and, and, uh, the Linux developers are, are out there trying to do the right thing for that particular function. And, but they don't always necessarily know what the right thing is, especially if there's not, you know, and again, it's with IPv6, limited deployment footprint in many cases and, you know, many LAN environments where there's just not a whole lot of, uh, a lot of deployment anyway. Mm -hmm. It's really, I think, hard for them to get, you know, situated in the right direction for some of these, these features that might otherwise, you know, be useful. I know in the RFC, they also mentioned DNS 6.4, NAT 6.4, and, and the idea that it might be one way to manage sort of, you know, like, you know, moving basically users that don't have v4 you know sort of forcing them to use dns64 nat64 for a period of time maybe mm -hmm. as a test case years ago there was a, a draft called the ipv6 router advertisement ipv6 only flag it was a draft that talked about this s flag and the mm -hmm. s flag would be in the router advertisement and the s flag would either be on or off and if the s flag was set to one it's an indication to the host hey Here's your here's your prefix. And by the way, we don't use IPv4 on this network. So you can go ahead and turn off V4. Yeah. And then there you're using IPv6 as the mechanism to and the RA gets sent out every 200 seconds that keeps that S flag on and keeps the V4 turned off. And I was kind of thinking, well, that kind of makes sense. You're using IPv6 to turn off IPv4 and keep it off. But then that uh expired. That draft expired. Now Anytime, you know, we change something like an RA, well, one, all router <laughs> uh, firmware needs to be updated to support this S flag, you know, router software needs to be updated to support right. the S flag. And guess what? Same thing as option 108, we need to implement this S flag uh, interpretation into all the host operating systems. So it's not going to be something that's 
done over a weekend. It takes years to get a new RA option and a new you know, function integrated into all the desktop operating systems across the world. So see how that seemed like a daunting effort at the time. The draft expired. But to me, I was kind of maybe a little hopeful for the yeah. s flat. Yeah. But I don't know if we shift gears a little bit and talk about, um, I, you know, I think maybe we'll be waiting a while for an operational use case for option 108 uh, to avail itself. You know, and mm -hmm. again, some of that's just limited deployment of DHCP v6 and IPv6 in general. But but uh, it's definitely maybe something that our, our listeners are you know now more aware of based on us discussing it and, and might be something you keep in your back pocket, you know, as a, as a tool to use in, in what I would consider to be a limited and somewhat bizarre set of circumstances due to poor planning. But who yeah. knows? You know, your yeah. mileage will definitely vary. But if we shift gears yeah. a little bit, um, you know, what what are some of the setting aside sort of option 108 and you know, looking at DHCP v6 from a higher level? You know, we, and we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but what are some of our what are some of the best practices that we should really be applying? Like, you know, for the listeners that are just, say, rolling out DHCP v6 for the first time, it's like, I don't want you to focus on option 108. That's kind of mm -hmm. further down the road. But what do they need to be doing first? Yeah, I mean, I. We always recommend DHCP v6 for enterprises, I'd say, because of the ability to log, you know, client identifiers and duids, identities, uh, and have, you know, a log record of who has what addresses in the environment, you know. Uh, so just operationally, DHCP makes sense because it's what you're used to. For IPv4 as well, operationally, it follows the same model. Uh, for dynamic addressing of end nodes, um, you can apply options, you know. You can't do that with an RA easily. You know, like, where's your, here, Mr. Wireless access point, where's your controller? Hey, you know, cable modem, where's your firmware <laughs> over TFTP? What's your time of day? Hey, Mr. Uh, or misses voice over IP phone, where's your, you know, voice controller located at, you know, eh, giving other options. You can't, you can't do all that in an RA. You might be able to one day, but not today. <laughs> it's, it's this, it's this 1500 byte. <laughs> it's like, this RA is gigantic. It has to be fragmented. <laughs> <laughs> just for, just to carry all the options. <laughs> yes. But I, I mean, We've set up IPv6 test only networks without IPv4. And even if hosts end up with an APIPA address, I've never had that be a problem for DNS 6.4 or NAT 6.4. I've never, if a host ends up with an APIPA address, it just doesn't use it. It can use that v4 address for link local communication with other nodes, but it doesn't, it doesn't get in the way. The fact that it an end host ends up with an APIPA address. And v6 is its only option. It uses IPv6, and thus is essentially IPv6 only. I don't know if there's too many downsides with just leaving v6 only nodes with an APIP address on them. Yeah, we haven't encountered it, or you know, there yeah. may be, but it's it, it would seem like a corner case. It's not like um, it's not like I have a Sauron's eye into all the DHCP v6 deployments in in the world, but. You know, it hasn't been something that's that's bubbled up to the top to say, hey, this this is odd behavior based on having yeah. a PIP address and, and trying to run v6 or v6 only. Yeah. And I think with DHCP v6, 
you know, the options you're going to provide that end node is its DNS server, the v6 address of yeah. the DNS server, because it you can't give a v4 address to the DNS server, the host doesn't have a v4 address. So it will make its its DNS queries over v6 transport to its resolver. And it needs a v6 address of that DNS resolver to do that. And I'm all for, you know, dual stacking, you know, DNS infrastructure because they're shared services and they need to be accessible by the broadest set of nodes that could be using v4 dual stack or v6 only. But one thing I think you could also do in DNS, which is against the default, is to go in and say, for my v6 only networks, I only want to return quad A records to queries. I don't want to return any A record query. And so by doing that, there's no A record that ever would ever get returned back to the client. Even if it had an APIPA address, it wouldn't be using v4 to reach anything. It would only get quad A records for any of its DNS queries. Therefore, that's another way to kind of keep everything on v6. Right. But it overrides the default. And anything, it seems like that's kind of a kludge too. Just like you could you could filter out quad A's out of V4 transport DNS queries, you could filter out A record queries and responses out of V6 transport DNS traffic. Well, cool. I know, I think uh, we, we may have covered everything there is to cover and and what we're able to cover in a podcast for option 108 and DHCPv6. <laughs> oh, one last thing, though. I mean, the security practitioners are thinking, how could I craft a DHCPv6 108 and do a DOS attack on a network? And to do that, you'd have to break into someone's DHCP servers and set option 108 on every network or something. Yeah. So secure your DHCP server <laughs> so that option 108 doesn't get set on every network. Um, and then you want to prevent against rogue DHCP servers. But it's kind of a, that's a weird attack because the, the attacker goes through the trouble of getting a foothold in your network, sets up a rogue DHCP server only to serve up 108, which then shuts down V4. <laughs> so I I don't know how effective that is as an attack strategy. And you're only DOSing one LAN that... <laughs> yeah. That requires a very, a very unique and obsessive hacker that's... <laughs> I'm going to... This is my, this is my vector of attack. I'm, I'm going doing... to... Yeah. So that's a more of a script kitty, you know, attack. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> a little strange. Motivation. Yeah. What's their motivation? Yeah. But other than that, I, yeah, I think we've talked about everything we can think of. Well, well, excellent. And it, it, out there in, uh, in the IPv6 buzz listenership, if you're, if you're doing strange things with DHCPv6 uh, involving option 108 or other options or, or anything at all, we'd like to hear about it. I uh, always like to get sort of operational uh, input from the folks that are actually running v6 and, and get, give us a different perspective on that. But unlike v6 itself, we've run out of space for this podcast. Go ahead and uh, reach out to us on Twitter if you'd like, at IPv6Buzz. Uh, you can also hit up each of us on Twitter. Um, I'm at IPv6Tom. Uh, Scott is at Scott Hogue. And, and Ed, who's not with us today, is at E. Horley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps if you just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. 
If you like the podcast, we recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break podcasts, plus all the other great content, technical and otherwise, over at Packet Pushers at packetpushers.net. So long, and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.